Did you know the average fleet manager spends 100 hours a month managing toll? Get that time back by partnering with BestPass, the nation's leader in toll management. Learn more and visit bestpass.com or call 866-366-1426. Welcome to Taking the Higher Road, a driver reach and freight waves production. I'm Leah Shaver, President and CEO of the National Transportation Institute. In Jeremy's absence, I'm excited to be your guest host. On this show, we interview industry experts and thought leaders who bring their insight to the driver life cycle as we discuss the industry's greatest challenges, driver recruiting and retention. Your feedback is very important to us. Please remember to rate and review Taking the Higher Road on whatever platform you're using to listen. Today, I am especially honored to be chatting with Avery Weiss, VP of Trucking for FTR. Great to see you again, Avery. Thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me, Leah. I appreciate it. You're welcome. FTR identifies itself as a leader in transportation intelligence. I'd like you to share more about your role as their trucking expert, an overview of what's happening in the market today, a current status of driver supply. Let's touch on AB5 and carrier registrations. And lastly, we'll answer a question from one of our listeners about how all of this will impact the recruiting environment this year during our deeper dive segment. Shall we get started? Sure. Excellent. You are the trucking expert at a leader in transportation intelligence. Tell us about FTR and your day-to-day. Sure. So FTR is a forecasting and and market analysis firm specializing in freight transportation and most specifically in trucking, rail, and intermodal, although we do look at air freight and we look at pipeline and we look at water. But uh, really our focus are, are those three segments or two segments, depending on how you want to look at it. Um, And we forecast uh, volumes and um, capacity and rates. uh, And we also forecast uh, commercial truck production and backlogs and so on. Uh, And we do the same with rail car uh, freight. We do the same with with rail car uh, production. And my role is um, as vice president of trucking. I'm essentially the lead analyst for uh, for everything trucking at, at FDR. Excellent. Well, I'm going to tap into several of the areas that you mentioned with my questions for you today. I want to start out with the market. Let's touch briefly with a broad overview of the freight market. The shift away from spot and more toward contract freight, even though the spot market is cooling, your read is that overall freight demand is still stable and demand for trucking service and drivers is solid. Give us your insights and analysis of what exactly is happening out there today. Yeah, I think that pretty much is it. So we've seen, um, you know, the, the spot market, especially in the van segments, uh, reach very strong levels, unprecedented levels at the end of last year. And then both dry van and refrigerated spent really the first uh, four months of the year coming steadily back down. Um Rates and volumes are still, um, you know, still above the five-year average in both. So, you know, we've hardly normalized at this point, although we're we're sort of heading in that direction. Um, but what we've seen, and, and we see this both when we look at um, the fact that volumes are coming down in spot, but not in the overall, because that's something that we track, but also we see it in, in what's happening with employment. We, we saw in April and May, for example, the strongest two-month growth in employment, in trucking, um, 
since 1994. And actually, it's really the strongest ever because the, the 1994 one was completely artificial. It was the end of a Teamster strike. So all the all the striking uh, truckers hired back were were treated as new hires, essentially. Um, so very strong uh, hiring. And that hiring is traditionally an indicator of the contract segment because, uh, you know, the one truck operation does not generally show up in that payroll employment numbers. We track that separately through um, the the tracking of new carriers and, and revocations of authority uh, using FMCSA data. But really, the, the Bureau of Labor Statistics doesn't really get to that, except on a quarterly basis, and, and that data lags <clears throat> by by quite a bit and is, is not very useful in terms of of getting a, a you know a feel for what's going on now. So we really see both in terms of the spot metrics and the the overall uh, freight staying very strong, uh, and also in that shift of capacity because we're seeing an increase in the failures of very small operations, but we're also seeing very strong job growth, which would imply a shift of that capacity from spot essentially to contract. In an FTR webinar in July, you mentioned that there appears to be an ample supply of drivers, given that trucking employment has grown so solidly over the past two years. You just mentioned that April and May were an all-time strongest two months, effectively, for trucking job growth, and total employment has grown 5% compared to pre-pandemic, whereas overall employment still hasn't returned to pre-pandemic levels. Can you explain to the fleets listening what you refer to as an ample supply of drivers, especially since so many of them are going to tell you just how difficult it is to find drivers to fill unseated trucks? Fair enough. Um, so when we look at the market, you know, we are agnostic as to the participant. And what I mean by that is <clears throat> we're looking really at the total number of drivers in the, in the truck freight market. And that includes both spot and contract. And so that includes a lot of this new capacity. Well, it's not new capacity, but it's a lot of these new carriers that have come into the market since the middle of 2020, an unprecedented surge. Uh, we're talking on the order of 200,000 new carriers uh, that, that have been added in, in, in that two-year period. And they came from the ranks of larger trucking companies, by and large. Most were leased owner-operators. Uh, probably a lot of them were also company drivers, went out and, and got a a truck and got their own authority. So when we look at the market, we're not looking at it from the perspective of, you know, a medium or large truckload carrier or a small truckload carrier for that matter. We're, we're looking at it from, you know, the amount of driver capacity in the market. So it is not necessarily the most fluid capacity uh, because a spot is not as, as efficient as contract because you have additional steps involved. So I, I totally get that individual carriers may very well still be having uh, trouble keeping trucks filled. And that doesn't contradict <clears throat> my point, I don't think. But I, I do understand that when I say ample number of drivers, it might uh, it might rub people the wrong way. Um, but because I didn't really have the time to kind of explain all of that background when I, when I made that comment. But I do stand by the comment. Um, my assessment is that we have... You know, you mentioned earlier the 5% increase in payroll employment. Now, obviously, all of those are not drivers. Most are. But in fact, uh, our estimate is that we have somewhere in the neighborhood of, of 14 to 16% more drivers today than we had prior to the pandemic. Uh, and I think, you know, a lot of people might find that very hard to believe. 
And that's that's specifically in the for hire segment. Um, if we take into account both for hire and private, it's closer to say 12%. But when you look at that 5% figure from the BLS and you take into account the fact that it doesn't include, you know, those, <clears throat> you know, tens of thousands of one truck operations, you can see how those numbers can could easily be reconciled. So, you know, I, I'm certainly open to be proven wrong in this, but but I do think that the for hire segment is, um, you know, somewhere between 14 to 16% higher in the number of drivers than it was, um, you know, to what, roughly two and a half years ago. Off the cuff question related to that is that um, as new entrants joined the industry and as schools have increased the number of folks that they're able to process, if you will, and and help them to join, um, there's always the question of the number of drivers versus the number of qualified drivers. And where in that scope would you venture to guess the the less experienced drivers are falling in terms of numbers? Yeah, you know, we, we've seen um, kind of spotty data on CDLs, but certainly uh, DOT and FMCFA have sort of, uh, you know, dribbled out data on that uh, when it suited their purposes over the last year. Uh, and it seems to be quite strong. So it does seem that we, you know, do have a significant number of, of inexperienced drivers. Now, that I'll, I'll be perfectly honest, we don't really track that at FTR. Um, it's just one of those... Um, Sort of nuances that uh, would would require quite a bit of effort on our part, in in the return for doing so is not um, is not all that great. <clears throat> so I don't really have a lot of insight into that, but um, um, but that is certainly one of one of the factors that I think is probably you know at play here, because when we look at the the total number of drivers, and and when I talk about the total number of drivers, I'm I'm looking at you know, FMCSA data. So these are drivers that are are indeed employed. Um, but, you know, as we all well know, uh, the less experienced the driver is, you know, the more likely that driver is going to wash out uh, just because they don't have a history. You know, if you've been doing it for a number of years, um, you know, you're not likely to wash out. Um, you might turn over, you might turn, uh, move to another carrier, or you might get your own authority or whatever, but you're not not nearly as likely. Um, that's one reason why, you know, we don't see that the failure of, of, of these one truck operations is affecting overall capacity at, at any, to any significant degree. Cause if you've gone to the trouble to buy a truck and, and, you know, become your own carrier, uh, your next step is not likely to be to leave the industry altogether. You're more likely to lease on, uh, to, to a larger carrier or perhaps sell your truck and, and, and become a company driver. But uh, these are all factors, of course, that that relate to, you know, the how how qualified the drivers are. Obviously, you know, another big one is the drug and alcohol clearinghouse, which is something we never had before. And it is interesting that I, that I was looking at the, the data for May and noticed that we had the highest number of violations um, in May of, of any month since the program began. And I, you know, I take that primarily to to be because we have more drivers and we have more hiring that's going on. Well, you mentioned owner operators and capacity shifts. I want to stick with that as well as AB5. You are the guy in the industry who's known for tracking new carrier registrations and authority revocations on a month to month basis. What are your main takeaways right now for everything happening in the owner operator and independent contractor market? We certainly have seen a you know, sharp increase in the number of net revocations, which is not 
too surprising. I mean, this actually started really in late fall last year. And I think a lot of people kind of forget because, you know, March, April, March, or at least March, May, and June have sort of thrown everyone's scale off for what what counts as an increase in diesel prices. But we were seeing some relatively sharp increases in diesel prices last year. And I think that was leading to some of the, the increase in net revocations. They've gone up, you know, quite sharply just in the last several months. And I think it's it's largely because of of the combination of of higher diesel prices and the you know softening of of, of van rates. You know, we're we're actually starting to see that happen in flatbed as well, but we're still uh, flatbed spot rates are still uh, quite high and have a long way to fall before um, they would be uh, you know unattractive. I would say, but you know we 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 certainly have stabilized with with the uh, the van market, so. You know, it, it is understandable that we would have a lot of um, very small operations uh, wanting to get out of the, you know, the the uh, uncertainty and, and the, uh, the the margin crushing weeks that we've had sometimes where we've had, you know, 30, 75 cent uh, week increases in diesel prices. Um, and by, you know, either becoming a company driver or, you know, even just becoming a leased owner operator, they can get passed through surcharges. So, you know, that's something that, I think we've seen. I think we saw a lot of it. I think that's what fueled a lot of the the growth in April and May, frankly. Um, but what's interesting is that we are not seeing a collapse in the number of new carriers. We are seeing that them come down. But given the same dynamics, the the you know unprecedented surge in diesel prices, and you know at least the stabilization, if if not you know softening of, of spot rates, you would expect those to to have plummeted. And and they're not. Um, they're they're still well above. They're more than double, even in you know by my preliminary count in July. Um, they're still more than double the number we saw uh, prior to the pandemic. And I think a lot of that has to do with digital freight platforms, and it also has to do with a shift away from the leased owner operator model. What actually leads to an authority revocation? Sure. Are there a top few? Item? Sure. In most cases, it is it is the cancellation of an insurance policy, and that's important to know when you're when you're trying to analyze the data because the increases we've seen in the uh, the number of net revocations um, have been pretty strong, even though they probably do not include very many uh, carriers that that likely failed since March. You know, again. Um, you know, March is where we really saw diesel prices go you know, haywire. And um, it takes probably at least two months in practice and probably even longer, especially if, if carriers have, have multi-month premiums, for, you know, them to stop paying their uh, or, or them basically leave the market uh, or stop paying their premium and have their authority revoked. I, I do want to shift over um, to add in your comments on AB5. Uh, the question here is from the tough environment for independent owner-operators and small fleets with cooling spot rates and climbing diesel costs to the impacts of, of AB5 on a traditional leased owner-operator independent contractor arrangement. Do both of those trends offer a window for fleets to grow their driver count, even their truck counts by drawing um, from those those ICs back into company jobs? Sure. You know, 
I actually was suggesting, even before I took AB5 into account, I, I've been suggesting for several months now that this um, you know trend of, of drivers giving up their own authority and, and returning to carriers <clears throat> might create an opportunity for uh, for a win for something of a win-win because you know one of the issues obviously for a one truck operation you know with its own authority is they have a truck right so you know typically they would then want to lease on unless they sold their truck um, and obviously the window uh, we're seeing prices starting to fall already and so the window for selling the truck is is perhaps starting to close although I think that's much that's an overstatement but from the perspective of the carrier, you know, we've had an issue with the semiconductor shortage and other supply chain issues on new trucks. Um, and that is perhaps a, um, you know, a limiting factor on the ability of the industry and, and specific carriers to grow. But if we, if you think of the driver and the truck as separate entities um, to be, to be dealt with differently, you know, there might be a win-win here where, uh, a driver um, comes to work as an employee, uh, continues to drive the same truck that they've always, you know, that they that they they still own, uh, but perhaps either sell that truck or perhaps just lease that truck back to the carrier that they're working for. It's called it's called a two check system. It's one of the the ways that people are looking at AB five as a way to comply. But I think that this concept, you know, has broader applicability. In fact. I was just reading um, uh, the the employment firm in Trucking Transforce just announced that it was going to be doing something uh, like that using a two-check system. Um, and so this could be a way forward. Now, you know, I'm, I'm sure that there are a lot of owner-operators and one-truck carriers that don't want to be employees. Um, and, and I think there's still plenty of runway, if you will, for uh, for the least owner operator model, because right now it's only an issue in California, although it may it may very well be spreading. Um, but I do think it's an opportunity to bridge a gap on the part of the carrier, where um, you can't get a new truck, but you could perhaps uh, have on a temporary basis at least the truck of of an employee driver. Um, now, what happens? You know, is is that employee driver then go back and, and buy another truck? Um, I, you know, those are some questions that I think would be sort of a case by case situation. Um, but you know, I think you know, just looking at it for today, you know, solving solving the issue of I need a driver, but I can't really get a truck. Um, but you know, the driver has a truck, so you know, maybe there's a way to deal with it that way. Um, and that's certainly you know one way of dealing with it in California. You know, you mentioned it, um, and I'll echo that I've been told by so many fleets this year that they could grow in volume and personnel if only they had trucks. So um, do you, in fact, feel that in light of that that backlog and long lead times for fleets to receive new equipment, that this has yet revealed another opportunity related to ICs in order to cover their their, their overhead, uh, minimize some of their costs and and continue to grow the fleet in ways that they've been looking for. Yeah, I, I think certainly it is. I mean, for one thing is if if you are going to continue to um, treat this arrangement as a, as a lease, you know, the way you have with a leased owner operator where you're leasing both the equipment and the in the driver services, um, then you you have the you have the uh, 
the lack of responsibility over the maintenance and, and you're you're having the driver take care of that and you're you're just basically having the 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 payment that you're making to the driver cover that um and i think that's you know at least as a near term uh, fix if you will i think is potentially attractive because i think one of the problems that a lot of uh carriers want to avoid is that those especially that buy new trucks and, you know, turn them over in, you know, 42 months or whatever they, they do, um, and is that they don't want to have to deal with all the inherent maintenance that comes with these older trucks. But if essentially they're continuing to lease them, um, but, you know, they're only leasing the equipment, um, then I think that solves the problem. It also gives, I think, some continued upside for the, you know, for the previous independent contractor driver. Um, because you still have the ability to make a profit potentially on your management of that truck. So in other words, if you negotiate a specific lease payment, um, or, 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 or however you want to call, call it, I, I would call it a lease payment, uh, with a carrier based on certain assumptions. And if you can outpace those assumptions, for example, if you can get better fuel economy, um, so, you know, all those, all those things that, that owner operators can do to enhance their margins then you could continue conceivably to do that. Now, that's going to be, you know, obviously up to whatever the structure is of, of the lease. But I do think it is a potential win-win uh, in that environment. Now, I, as I said, I think that the lease owner-operator model is not dead. Um, at this point, it is just California. Uh, and I think there will, you know, be, you know, many, many, many carriers that will just say, well, it doesn't really affect me. Um, so, you know, I think that model will continue. But I do think this is a way, especially for those, you know, one truck operations that have failed um, and or, or who are failing because of the volatility in diesel prices to say, OK, well, I'm going to basically divorce myself, you know, from the truck itself. And then we will, you know, we'll handle that separately. Well, it's time for our deeper dive segment where we take a question from our audience, in this case, a longtime listener and recruiting manager. With ongoing chatter and some noise in the media about an economic downturn and what it could mean for freight volumes, those headlines could prompt some fleet executives to pressure their recruiting teams to get by with a smaller budget or even reduce hiring goal targets. Particularly with FTR predicting truck utilization rates to remain high through next year, what would you say to leaders at trucking companies who may feel the need to cut back on recruiting and retention spend based on what you see in the market. What guidance would you offer recruiting managers in terms of responding to leadership about reducing hires in the coming months and into next year? So it looks like we've got two questions. Um, first being, uh, what do you think based on, on the idea of needing to cut back on recruiting and retention spend based on what's happening in the market? Sure. Well, and we haven't really talked, you know, I talked about the shift of spot contracts, but I haven't really talked about, well, where do I, you know, what happens after that? And my, my short answer is, I think it's premature at this point to cut back. And the, and the reason is, is that, you know, there's, um, you know, we might be in a recession, but if it is, it's the weirdest recession I think anyone alive has ever witnessed, uh, because we have continued job growth. Um, we have, you know, very steady, um, spending on retail goods. It has declined in real terms very slightly, but it's still very strong. Americans still have like $4 trillion in cash left over from the, the stimulus. And 
we have a lot of pent-up demand in the industrial sector, you know, um, automobiles. You know, again, that $4 trillion of cash is going to be very eager to buy vehicles once they become available. Um, just as in the trucking industry, there's going to be a lot of interest, even if uh, freight were to slow down a little. Um, there's a lot of fleets that need to to replenish or or to replace their 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 um, trucks, and so I think you know our, our forecast right now is that we are going to continue to have freight growth. We do see that growth slowing, um, but you know when we look at the economy, for example, um, as I said, if if we are in a recession, it's it's the weirdest one ever. Well, one of the factors in the recession, um, you know, or, or in the in the in the data that goes into the calculation. Uh, of the GDP is um, is imports and imports have been very strong um, because of consumer demand and the way GDP works is that imports are negative so the higher the imports uh, the more downward pressure there is on GDP and that was a big factor you know in the first quarter of last year um, so um, but that's not the case for for transportation imports are a plus um, so my message is is basically you know, try to look through all of the talk about the economy at this point, um, because the freight economy is still very strong, still very solid. Um, and, you know, you know we, we will certainly tell people when that, that is starting to change, but it isn't happening yet. And I, I think it's definitely premature um, to to pull back, because I think there are there, there is going to be... Um, you know, especially diesel prices do not continue dropping the way they have the last few weeks. Um, you know, I think there's going to be more and more interest in, in coming back to to uh, larger carriers as either leased owner operators or company drivers. And um, you're going to have to be prepared to recruit those people. They're not going to just walk in the door. You know, you've, you've got to reach out to them. So um, maybe, you know, maybe we get to that point down the road, but I don't see it you know, in the third quarter of this year or probably the fourth quarter of this year. And frankly, in our in our forecast, you know, I don't think we see it until, you know, at, at most uh, or earliest, you know, the early to mid part of next year. Uh, and even then, I don't think we're talking about anything like the, the drop that we saw, say, in the back half of 2019. I think it's much more um, uh, subtle than that because of all the disruptions that we're continuing to see in the overall labor market. In terms of driver wages, which of course is what NTI monitors, the factors that influence uh, whether or not driver pays is going to be moving are, of course, capacity, supply, demand, and, and the uh, the ever-moving vehicle of freight rates. Are there particular categories that you would you would comment on related to the folks that are are in charge of recruiting and retention budgets that they continue to monitor? in order to know whether or not they need to make changes related to hiring in the coming months? Sure. And I think at this point, the big one is is really freight. Um, as I said, we have really have not seen uh, much decline in um, consumer spending, which is, I think is what is most at risk. Um, we have seen essentially no decline in the industrial sector. Um, now, the housing sector looks like it's, you know, prepared for a, a fall off. So, you know, if, if you're a fleet that is, you know, if you're a flatbed or, or otherwise very closely tied to the housing sector, I would probably start getting a little worried, uh, start watching it very carefully. Um, and, and, you know, if I'm, if I'm tied just to retail, 
you know, if you're if you're just hauling retail goods, that's also something where you might want to start watching very carefully. Uh, I think the industrial side, though, by and large, is 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 pretty solid. Um, so, you know, basically freight. Um, you know, if we do continue to see the kinds of strong increases um, in employment that we saw, um, you know, in April and May, then, you know, I think that's another factor to take into account. But I, again, I go back to my point is that just because there's a lot of drivers out there don't doesn't mean they're your drivers. So I think that's, um, you know, I was, you know, I think that's been one of the fallacies that a lot of people have have fallen into is that, oh, well, drivers are, are, you know, are ample, as I said earlier, but that doesn't mean that they're working for you. And, um, and you know, it's important to, to be able to, to keep that. So um, just, you know, watching freight demand, I think, is the big thing right now. I think that's the big question mark. Very good guidance and a great conversation, Avery. I'm so glad that you were able to join us today. I appreciate the work that you are doing in the industry, and I wish you much success. Thanks, Lee. I enjoyed it. Thank you for joining me on another episode of Taking the Higher Road. Remember, you can submit any questions or comments, including those that appear on upcoming Deeper Dive segments at podcast at driverreach.com. And don't forget to rate and review Taking the Higher Road on whatever platform you listen. Until next time, thank you for taking the higher road.